It's March 22nd, 2021. This is Rook. Her voice is a memorable instrument that has been heard everywhere from jazz clubs to Oscar-winning films to electronic collaborations and theatrical productions. She is the singular Suzanne Dehim, and she is the Iranian-American vocalist, composer, and performance artist who can stop you in your tracks with her sublime musical presence. She's recently presented an acclaimed multimedia tribute to Fudok Farzad, and she joins us for a feature interview today about her journey, her craft, and her passion. Susan Dehim coming up. Plus, we have your letters about our home video. This is conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 95 of Rook, coming to you from Toronto, Canada, with a salute to all of you joining us from around the world. Welcome. We are on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. You can find us on SoundCloud, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, and Telegram, an exciting show today. Big first show of the new year, first show of the spring, first post Noruz show. Strap yourselves in, everyone. Captain Reza is here. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Noruz Piruz. Noruz Piruz to you guys, to yeah. you as well. Uh, Groovy Shaya. Hi, happy Noruz. <laughs> yes, thank you, Shaya. Right, down to business, Shaya. Hi, happy Norris. Uh The fabulous Keon. Hi, Gian. Hello, happy Keon. Thank you. I mean, we've said this to each other on camera in we our Noru's video. Let's get to that in a second. Susan Dehim coming up in a few minutes. What an impressive and diverse career she has had. She she really embodies the notion of multidisciplinary artists. She's a dancer, a singer, a, a visual artist, a composer, more, more, more. She she has worked with everyone from Sheen Neshat to Peter Gabriel to the Blue Man Group to Jerry Garcia. You know who Jerry Garcia is, Shia? Um, please like Did no. Have you ever heard of a band called The Grateful Dead? Grateful Dead. Yes. No. Oh. All right. <laughs> they were Neither have I. Well, you, oh my God! Do you know who the Grateful Dead are? Oh boy! This is this is definitely it's not just an age thing. It's it's definitely a function of the fact that you guys didn't grow up here. I grew up here. I, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> the Grateful, <laughs> especially when you find out who the Grateful Dead are. Oh. The Grateful Dead were. 
There you go. The Grateful Dead were the were the ultimate jam band. They were from the 1960s into the 70s, and then early and through the 80s. But they basically uh, were the forerunners of the idea of what became deadhead culture. The Grateful Dead deadheads, Uh and deadheads were basically stoners or folks doing drugs who would follow them around from show to show, tape the concerts, and you know get lost in in drugs and and uh, effervescence. So, um, and Jerry Garcia uh-huh. was the lead singer and songwriter. If uh, it was because he's he's died now, but but the Grateful Dead, and then there's a, a bunch of other bands that came after them, like more recent bands like Fish or the Dave Matthews Band or whatever that followed mm-hmm. in the tradition of the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. of like long jams on stage while everybody would have a toke and and uh, yeah. Wow. So that's why. Uh, Keon, it's I'm a shocked. You failed. You failed. Class 101 of being a stoner. I grew, I'm not a stoner. Well, I grew I up mean, with hip hop. Uh, let's put it that way. I okay. wasn't really right. big well, on hip Well, that explains why yeah. I don't know uh, uh, the Grateful Dead. But you, you, aren't you a kind of, you're an aspiring stoner. I mean, you're trying not to be a stoner. <laughs> no, I do. Once <laughs> a month, and you know the once reason a month? why. Yes. Oh, really? Is it just for, once a month? No, for like a few days, that one oh, okay. week. All right, all right. You, you know, the infamous you, week. <laughs> All right. Let's not go there this time. All right. <laughs> anyway, Suzanne Dehim worked with Jerry Garcia. But uh, you, do you know who Peter Gabriel is, Keon? I mean, he sounds oh, familiar. Oh, boy. All right. All right. All right. No, that's, Can you that's sing that's me a song? Peter Gabriel used to be, was the first singer of Genesis, the band Genesis. Nothing? It sounds right. familiar. I, this is not good. This is not a good look for us. Let's get move on. <laughs> so, Suzanne Dehim. Yeah, in your eyes. You know that song? No. Nothing. Sounds like Phil Collins. (laughs) Well, well, okay. So Phil Collins was the second, was followed uh, Peter Gabriel as the lead singer of of Genesis. Okay. But but Gabriel is considered much more innovative. So real Peter Gabriel fans would take umbrage at you saying Phil Collins is, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Why am I, I mean, do you know who the Beatles are? (laughs) What's going on here? There was a band called the Beatles and then (laughs) there was Bob Dylan and then the Radiohead. I mean, which can I mean? Is there? Do you recognize any of these names? Yes, yes, I do. Oh, so good though. If, if it was Darius, you guys know, but not you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you know the music from the 1950s of Iran, but you don't know the Grateful Dead. It's very interesting. Anyway, Susan Dehim coming up in just if she'll still come on the show. Hopefully, she's not listening in right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even. These were the big. Uh, she's she's also worked with like Ornette Coleman. I know you're not going to know Ornette <laughs> Coleman's like this incredible jazz. You know, he was the basically the inventor of free jazz. It's mm-hmm. amazing. You know, I, I I left those names out. I was like Gabriel Blue Band Group. Yes. Okay. Of you know the Blue yeah, Band Group. Yeah. All right. She's yeah. worked with the Blue. <laughs> I wasn't a musician. You and Shia have that. That's edge. true. Shia, no excuse. There's no excuse. Yeah, no Shia. excuse. Yeah, yeah. Shia. The Shame. Grateful Dead. I thought you would know the Grateful Dead. No, I uh, that's all right. I mean, there's not. You know, it's okay. all right. Happy post Noruz. Did you have a nice Noruz weekend, Captain Reza? Yeah, yeah, it was great. All Spend right, it with family friends. Some sabzi pulova mahi. That's right. Yeah, uh-huh. some sabzi pulova mahi. And I, I had sabzi pulova mahi as well. Did anyone not have sabzi? Pulo? I don't think so. I. Be- you did. You did. I had sabzi pulobamahi. And Shai did? Yes, All right. Well, we also made sabzi pulobamahi yeah. in our home video, which we released. Now, I should explain. I've been waiting to do this because uh, while it's gotten, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, thousands of views there on the, the Instagram and the YouTube, 
uh, half of our audience or more is on SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes. In fact, definitely a majority of our audience. So you guys may not know that we put this video out because obviously we don't, it's not an audio video. So it's, uh, (laughs) so if you're on SoundCloud uh, or Spotify or iTunes, that's where you normally consume your Rook diet. Uh, you can just go to one of our other platforms or our, or our website and uh, to see this. But we, we put out a Noru's video, and it was basically it was based on the challenge of, you know, that this idea that I had last week. Let's let's get together and do a, a Noru's, and we're going to only speak in Farsi. And uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that people are loving it. But you know, uh, and it's very nice the comments and stuff. But if it had been left to me. I would not have released this, you know. I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate that people think it's sweet, and and it's not even that my my, my broken Farsi is not perfect. Although, you know, I I I think I fare okay. I think Keon does all right. You know, I I just hate the way you know. I talked about a couple of shows ago, like that. I was, you know, I I bulked up somehow. I've been <laughs> eating too many pesta. I don't know what happened. My, my my clothing wouldn't fit me. Well, well now, today I mean, how do I look? You look great. Right. It's it, in just in just a week. I've shrunk down to my normal <laughs> size. But when we did this video, yeah. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, allowing you guys to shoot this video <laughs> and put this video out. I I look back at it and I'm just like, I, you know, I look like one of those like. Uh, I look like a like a guy who's a rock star, like a, like you know Axel Mahmoud Rose, like a like a bloated old you know like guy who's drunk too much. He's like just like, and I I you know all I mean I'm trauma like I, I was just thinking people watching this. Um, oh, in What has happened to this guy? Look at I mean it's like I'm, I don't think any I look of us like a ship. <laughs> no. I'm huge. You are exaggerating. And uh, you guys all look so good. No. I mean, no, I Shia looks like a matinee <laughs> idol. Beautiful. His mother Raza. was worried if he looks but, sick. What yeah, my, my, my mom called me after <laughs> watching the video. And, are you sick? Is it good? Are you fine? He looks all right. I look like I have AIDS. Oh my God. I don't, I don't think any like of us I'm are happy. Bad like I'm going down. Like I, need I was trying to hide in the corner. <laughs> I didn't Keon, want to you look great. You look very lovely. I have also put on weight listen there's nothing that is worse than the way I look in that video but the video <laughs> is very sweet and uh, thank you to all the comments that people are making and and uh, it's very funny and yeah. and and you know by the way I've had a couple of comments from people like uh, I can't believe you guys didn't know what the half t- if the half scene is my family th- wanted to kill me but but the, our whole idea is I mean we do a long-form interview show I like to at least think that I, I do material meticulous research and and we do as interviews as smartly as we can and so this was supposed to be a break from that and the the agenda was let's not plan anything let's turn the cameras on let's not script or know what we're going to say and just kind of wing it and and you know so yeah we all come off all come off a bit stupid but i mean you know because we don't know some of the things like i i can't believe i didn't know sanjed you know and i called it hormone but it's better than kia it has 
بسته سمنوس Oh my god, you know, I, I look like like Pavarotti or something, you know. Like, <laughs> it's just like Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I'm just <laughs> that, isn't that motivation now? You're never gonna No, I swear. Oh hundred percent. Like I'm just done. I'm done with <laughs> there'll be no more yeah, it's over. I'm back to my you know But you know, the classic Persian feedback, I gotta say something about this, which is you like that one shy of the Pavarotti? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pavarotti already looked kind of Persian, you know. So like, I, I, it fits um, the classic Persian feedback. I gotta say, like social media, we all know there's trolls, and mm, of course, I've yeah. dealt with them. And and so so you'll get the person who'll just go, ah, you know, that somebody you've never heard of, and you just like delete, block, whatever. Yeah. But um, but I love the classic Persian feedback from friends, you know, and the supposedly friends, like uh, these people who are follow you on Instagram or, or Facebook. So, like, we post a video, right? And I mean, we did get a lot of nice. But so this guy, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to dog him. He's a really, actually, really nice guy and an interesting guy. But this guy, he on my Facebook or on one of my platforms, he writes like six paragraphs, you know, underneath, and he's one of the first commenters about the spelling of Noruz, you know, in the title of our video, which we spelt N-O-W-R-U-Z. And he's like, this is an agenda, you know, you're buying into the, 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 the group think, and this is like, that's not the Iranian way to spell all this, you know. And because he wants us to spell it N-O-R-O-O-Z, Noruz, which actually I... I think that that is a phonetically a smarter way to spell it. And I used to spell that it's that way for years. But uh, every time I did that, I would get a bunch of people yelling at me going, no, it's spelled N-O-W-R-U-Z because that has become the. So, so, I mean, and then there's other people commenting. I mean, this is like, there's 30 like messages about just the spelling of Noru. And I called my sister last night. I was like, you know, what's this like? Is this a, is it weird that we used Noru's? Because this year I just decided to defer to what I see out there because Ironica and UNESCO and the White House Mm -hmm. and whatever, it's spelled N-O-W-R-U-Z. So you might as well. And my sister said, no, this is the way language, my sister's a linguist, you know, this is the way language evolves. And basically, the majority usage, you know, the, the, what, when a word is, the spelling of a word or the use of a word is used by the most people, it becomes de facto the standard uh, for that word. That's mm-hmm. So in other words, this is the way you spell Noruz now because it's that this is the way all the major institutions or, and people are, are using it. So mm-hmm. you're just spitting upstream trying to, trying to go N-O-R-O-O-Z. So anyway, this guy's yelling about that. <laughs> then somebody else comes on and, and with the old, you know, because on our video, we put uh, Nora's home video in Farsi. Yeah. So then, oh, of the course, the, the guy's like, Persian. you know, uh, in Farsi, Farsi is the Farsi word for Persian. I think you mean in Persian and like oh, then no. puts a link to like some oh. site on the Internet to explain oh, this. How people think. Oh. 
that I've been talking about being Persian and using Farsi and stuff for 50, 20 years on the air. You know, and like uh, all those years in radio, I would always talk about Farsi and Persian. This always came up. How would someone would think that I've never thought about this, right? <laughs> of course I've thought about it. I tend to not care and I use them interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But so then there's a whole explanation about that. Then there's somebody else that comes out. Oh, oh my God. And goes, the problem with this is it's not the year 1400. You know this one now? Oh my God. It's. This was uh, this Reza Shah started this whole thing, and actually, oh it's oh. the year twenty five. And you should have in the video said happy twenty five eighty. I don't know what the what is our what's going on. What is the calendar? <laughs> Somebody explain the calendar to me, and, and then they're going to yell because I don't know this. I, what is what is going on? Why is it not fourteen hundred, Shaib? Can you explain? Uh, no, I, actually, it's fourteen hundred. You know the, the the no really the guy who invent this calendar was Omar Khayyam, and he. He created this calendar based on the some some events in uh, Islam history, uh-huh. mm. but three or four years before revolution, uh, Shah, Shah yeah. yeah Shah suggested that we can change our calendar to the imperial calendar, and right. then. Uh, but after revolution, it again turned to the 1400. Can, can I just say though that I mean I appreciate these are I don't I'm not against discourse, but I was just like, anyone want to comment on the video? Like we just put up a we put up a video of us dancing, and the debate is like what year it is and how to spell Noruz and the and the you know how we put Farsi instead of Persian. I'm just I mean, and I should say the majority of the comments were about the video and that's really cute. Yeah. We love it, you know, all of that. Yeah. The Rook team, yeah, you know, but it was just. So funny! It's like thought, this is the classic Persian I feedback. Thought, no, you know? this was the one thing all Persians could agree <laughs> right, right, right. on. But no, even no, that, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. even that wow. I just don't know any other. I mean, uh, you know how much I love being Persian. We created this whole show, yes. and you know yeah. my Persian identity is like a, so thick and strong. Mm. But uh, the, I don't know any other culture that's debating, you know, what the calendar <laughs> the is, like you know <laughs> how, how we, we say our it. name, how what how we oh, could, what, what the name of our language oh. is. I mean, it's just so funny. It's like it's uh, you it's can't very, make everybody happy. That's I mean, that's for sure. Line. That's for sure. Uh, especially when you're uh, putting out a video that looks like uh, the, the three tenors in one person. <laughs> Who's the other two tenors? <laughs> <laughs> Domingo and well, Carreras was actually <laughs> quite slim, yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a reference to Seinfeld episode. <laughs> oh man! Uh, anyway, listen. So for those of you who haven't seen it on our Instagram, and and, and we've got a bunch. Oh, I know why I thought. See, I was actually feeling a little better about the video. Okay. Because um, I look at it and I see paparazzi, you know. But other people were like, oh, no, you look good, you're charming, whatever. And then the, in the yeah, letters, yeah, somebody yeah. said it. Somebody was like, oh, <laughs> I think he was playing around with you because you mentioned it a few shows yeah, ago. Yeah. So he was just teasing. No, but that's enough. That just okay, like, I, I don't care about the other thousand letters. That's the one I saw. Oh, and no. I am never eating that again. Letter? Do we have that letter? I kept it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to have letters <laughs> in the, yeah. after Susan Dehim. We're going to get to uh, <laughs> those letters. You can I read all the letters about. Why? You, you, you looked really sad today earlier. I was like, what's going on? You know, is it something I said? <laughs> Little did I know it's the letter. This is, listen, I, all kinds of things have been said about me, but once you have to call me Topoli, it's, <laughs> that's it, it's that's really. It. That's, that's the last straw. That's, that's, that's the thing that'll get me going. 
Uh, I want to mention we've launched our patrons page. This is exciting for us. Rookmedia.com is our website. You can go there and uh, support us. If you like our content, uh, and if you definitely, if you're a regular uh, Rook uh, person, we do this by crowdfunding. So uh, we really appreciate it if you support Rook and uh, keep our content as ad-free as possible. $10 a month. $5 a month. Those are the options. You can do more if you want to, but we don't expect you to. So uh, rookmedia.com and just press the red support us button uh, to be become one of our patrons. We really appreciate it. All right. Uh, Groovy Shia. Yes. Captain Reza. The Fabulous Keon. By the way, Ponta the Artist and uh, Savvy Roham are also in the video. Yes. And there's a bunch of our team members who are not in the video because we had to be careful for COVID reasons not to have a, a big party and some of them aren't in, this, in town. So we're missing uh, Chef Haas and producer Susan and Alay Mertod and Thoughtful Nagin is yes. also and uh, uh, Master Muhammad. But uh, shout out to them as well. All right. Time to get to our feature guest. Yes? yes. There we go. My feature guest today is a composer, vocalist, performance artist, and activist who is known for her mesmerizing and mystical voice and for creating a unique sonic and vocal language rooted in Persian poetry and mysticism. Take a listen to this. <laughs> از جدایی ها شکایت می کند of Beshno Azne, or Windfall, from her 2011 album City of Leaves, a composition, by the way, that was used by superstar rock band U2 on their massive 360 tour, played in conjunction with the song Sunday Bloody Sunday as something of an ode to the green movement in Iran from 2009. The voice you just heard is the singular Susan Dehim. Susan is an Iranian-American artist who was born in Tehran. She got started early in her creative endeavors and was part of the National Ballet Company in Iran, starting at the age of 13. At the age of 18, in the mid-1970s, she joined the Bejart Ballet in Europe after receiving a scholarship to attend Bejart's performance art school, Mudra. She trained there in many of the world's dance, music, and theater traditions, as well as in classical ballet. Susan then moved to New York in 1980 and started her glorious career in music, theater, dance, media, and film. She has released numerous solo projects and has collaborated with outstanding artists such as Ornette Coleman, Bobby McFerrin, Peter Gabriel, Bill Laswell, Rufus Wainwright, The Blue Man Group, Jerry Garcia, Branford Marsalis, and Shirin Neshat, among many others. She's also lent her musical talents to various film soundtracks, including The Last Temptation of Christ and Argo. Recently, Susan has released a new album called La Belle et la Bête, presided over an acclaimed multimedia tribute to Fouduk Farakzad, and opened her own online gallery showcasing her design works. Yes, she has been busy. And right now, 
Susan Dehim joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show and to um, this Canadian-based radio station, right? That's right. We're in Canada, but we like to think of this as a, a show of the world. <laughs> well, it's good to know that you're in a civilized country, so that, that makes me happy. <laughs> uh, aren't you civilized now as well, post-election, or is it are you still working on that in the States? Well, you know, we have always looked for civilization, and we've kept being civilized for a long time. The problem is that a lot of other people are just not understanding the blessing of being civilized. They don't understand what it brings to them. So they just, we're half and half civilized and people who just think they're civilized, but I don't know what civilization that is. It's funny to start the discourse around civilization because uh, my first question to you is actually about how far back your inspiration goes. I mean, I want to get to your latest projects, um, but I, I just want to start with what we just heard. Much of your music and art, Susan, is, in, is inspired by great masters of Persian poetry. That piece in the intro comes from a famous Rumi poem. And in your uh, fabulous 2004 album, Madman of God, you used divine classical works of great Sufi poets Rumi, Sadi, Jami from the 11th, 19th centuries. Have you learned to put into words, because I'm sure you've been asked this before, what it is about these ancient poetic masters that has so inspired you in your creations? Well, you know, the um, this concept of earthiness, which Khalki Budan and, and then the, the vibration, which is Hal, there's a vibration that comes out of that poetry that it's humbling my 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 being maybe it's because although i haven't been speaking farsi it still has this incredible grounding effect and also this idea of being reverent towards something that's so much wiser than you are and so much kinder and so much more generous mm. and so when i have access to iranian poetry and when i have especially when I have amazing friends who are um, scholars and they read it in Farsi and the interpretation is in Farsi. So that's like really time stops. And I think that partly is because it's just part of our genes, that idea of um, Sufism and mysticism. It is in, in our genes. So when you actually kneel towards Saadi or Rumi or Hafez without that sense of sort of stupid complex of superiority or inferiority mm -hmm. of all oh, weird best thing that happened, but just the sheer beauty of the words and the kindness and the wisdom. So it's it's just humbling, you know. I mean I'm I'm a progressive artist, so I, I don't look at ancient art in terms of a shelter and shrine. I look at it as part of my life. So and, when you say it's in our genes uh, it's in our genes, but we better be fortunate enough to have the right translation available. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, I think that understanding the, the language in a concrete way, you really need guidance. You need people to... I, I know that I was working on a, on a project, and I, I hope that this project comes together. And I was asking my very dear friend, an amazing, amazing scholar, Ahmad Karimi Hakkak, who was my, um, not only translator, but also the advisor on my Fulgur Farouk project. And Fulgur Farouk the language is contemporary. I mean, and yet, when you work with a scholar, 
and they bring in the wealth of inf information, but not with a notion of like knowledge, but as a, as a way to deconstruct something that you just said is like so above us. Is like, how, how do you like deconstruct the language so that it becomes like, you know, it becomes something that you completely relate to, you understand it. Can I ask you about that vibration and what's happening musically, like in that piece we just heard mm -hmm. uh, in the intro? Um, I'm so curious about how you, about the architecture of what you just did there, because, uh, you know, as a musician who came up in the Western contemporary tradition myself, uh, you're playing in a rock band. I mean, I listen to that piece and think, how did she do this? I, I know it's not just improvisation, but I'm guessing it's not totally scripted either. How much of that recording, something like that is visceral, or do you know exactly every single note that you're going to hit? Well, I'm an electronic composer, so I do everything in my studio. And so I don't write the music before I perform it. And because of my collaborations with a lot of amazing jazz musicians, I'm an improviser. I believe in improvisation as a philosophical, musical, and life must do. Hmm. Uh, because it prepares you for being really there a lot, being there all the time and respond to what happens. So, um, as a result, I, I, I come up with ideas in my studio and something about like an improvisation makes sense. There's something that's like a blossoming point of a composition or an idea. And then I will just take that and I just travel with it and see where it takes me, where I take it. So it's a real process. Sometimes it takes, you know, sometimes it's fast, sometimes quite lengthy, especially the background material on Vishnu Aznay is a piece that was called Windfall. It's like 35 voices. And that is a real electronic processing. It's like many, many layers of harmonies and then the processing and then processing the processing. Again, to create this whirlpool of sonic alchemy. doesn't sound like something that you know where you would have a producer you know hanging over your head and going no now go to this note or something <laughs> it just sounds too visceral and yet uh i mean i i figure you have some kind of roadmap i i'm fascinated by this idea by the way of uh living your life in an improvisational way i mean how far do you take that do you have a do you have a calendar? Do you have a schedule book? Do you have a, I mean, do you, do you know where you're going in two hours? <laughs> How improvisational can you be? Just imagine every minute of your life being the last one and be full on available to, you know, to experience a certain level of inner joy and inner, inner peace. And it's just so important. And nobody can bring it on to you. You know, you could have everything you want. Every money, every fame, every talent, if you don't concentrate on that very specific moment in time where you are here now and, you know, you appreciate a little tree in your neighborhood, a little mm. bird sound, and it really means a lot to me. I, I really have to concentrate. I've been extremely, extremely busy during the COVID and lockdown, so it's not like you could 
detox, why emotional detox, by talking to your friends, have a drink, and just simple things. You've got to do that for yourself. Otherwise, it's just, we're like robots. It never ends. Nothing ever ends. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to start with the Rumi um, and, and that discussion because I, I wanted to draw the line from there to Fuduk Farakzad. Um, I mean, as much as you find inspiration from the likes of Rumi and Hafez, as you've just explained, I've also seen you, uh, Susan, express some frustration about how great female writers or poets have been written out of Persian history for the most part. As you as you say, uh, where are all the women who created works over the centuries? Because we know they existed, but we don't necessarily know about them. And so more recently, you found someone, albeit from the 20th century, who really resonated with you in, in Furuk Farahsad. Tell us why you wanted to turn your attention to her. Well, first of all, when I lived in Iran, um, Farooq was, you know, an icon for us. I mean, it was uh, the hipsters paid attention to poetry of Farooq. Farooq was just beginning to have uh, a much more um, bigger name in, in every household. And there was a lot of resistance towards her. Some people thought, oh, that's that's not poetry. It doesn't rhyme. It doesn't, it's not poetry. You know, she's a, you know, she's a vulgar eroticist or something. Um, and everything about that was just so wrong because when you read the poetry, it was so unveiled, so personal. It was emotionally so naked. And emotionally so naked, unveiled, all of that stuff was like, whoa, you know, we need some of that for women to just be able to speak about their feelings and emotions and and life in general, you know. So we decided to do something with a big project with Furuha Farouk to celebrate her life, her poetry, her struggles, so many of them, and her, you know, her amazing talent, being so multifaceted in literature, a film editor, visual, visually very sophisticated, and a very broken soul, you know, it's a very as existentialist who had to deal with a lot of prejudice and a rebel, you know, she was not like giving in to, mm-hmm. she, she lived, she lived her life. She lived with her lover. They never married. That's like, whoa, what time, when was that in Iran? Amazing man. Um, they exchanged so much and they both flourished into these beings that were bigger than when they weren't together. So it became the reason why I got involved in that project. And I hope that after the Corona moment, we will tour the project and in Europe yeah. and Canada too. Yeah. I, I hope so too. I, I should say it. So it premiered in, I guess, around 2015 in Los Angeles. It also was presented in the Met. Uh, you're such an interesting art. I mean, you really are the definition of multidisciplinary artist. You're singing songs, writing songs, uh, music, dance, theater. I mean, you, you've kind of, um, it, it's like you're on the tour of all the fine arts throughout your your, your lifetime, and, and you're quite masterful at all of them. I want to ask you a little bit about your story and how this all happened. Um, take me back to Iran and take me back to being a kid there. And uh, before you entered the National Ballet at the age of 13, which is just one of your feats, how, what were you like as a kid growing up? How was your childhood growing up in Iran? 
No, I never talk about that actually. Nobody's asked me that question. My childhood was I am a pretty solitary person. I grew up in a very large family, 11 kids. I was the last one. You can imagine that you didn't wow. have anything to say that anybody wanted to hear. And then um, I was really interested in learning. I was a first student. I was really into studying and I was very, very solitary. I never had a toy. <laughs> I wasn't interested. And so it was a very sort of meditative childhood in a way. But it all changed after I um, entered high school. And then um, a couple of years after I met the Pars National Ballet of Mr. Nazemi. And that completely pulled me away from all my um, plans to follow some kind of uh, scientific field in my future. But you were clearly dancing. I mean, you can't just enter the National Ballet Company. Um, so where, where did that interest come from? How did you get interested in ballet? That's really came after I entered the school, my high school, and in literally very beginning of that time, I, I ran into a ballet class in my high school. And with this beautiful music, Chopin music, which they always play for ballet bars. So my friends and I checked it out. And there's this ballet class going on, which was kind of, you know, those days you didn't see a ballet class all the time. So it was kind of like a joke for us hmm. to go and let's be a little naughty and go in. And we, we went in to see what, what it was. And uh, Mr. Nazim, the director, smiled to hear, very kind, very nice, invited us to sit down and watch the whole thing and said, you all should come back tomorrow and take the class. <laughs> Just jokingly, literally jokingly, we all went back. That was it. I think it took me two ballet classes to completely feel like, oh my God, whatever this is, I'm coming back. And I did go back and no sciences. Uh, and then I just became an artist right after that. Then I, because the ballet company was affiliated with Persian National Television and Persian National Television was affiliated with Jashna Honash, Shiraz Arts Festival, we were um, engaged to go there every summer to work with these amazing companies who would come from Europe or the US um, and be the hosts. And in these trips that I saw the work of, just really name it, any amazing international avant-garde artists in that time, Peter, Peter Brook, Bob Wilson, John Cage, um, Stockhausen, Indian classical music, Persian classical music, Hafez Yeltsin, Panur Parisa, there was just the information there at that festival was astounding, astounding variety of excellent, excellent programming, either with something that had with futurism, like modernism and progressive stuff, or completely showcasing roots, indigenous roots, whether it was classical music from Iran, Kechak from Indonesia. And so that for me was like, it became like a religion to have a foot in tradition and a foot in modernism. Hmm. How do you bring it down? And it was a great festival in the sense that, you know, there was no colonialistic aspect to that. They didn't put the Indian classical music with masters of North Indian music, like Dagar Brothers. They didn't put them in like some kind of a little place and then put like Bob Wilson on a Persepolis. You really <laughs> right, right, experienced right. all these different artists in a way that was sensitively chosen spaces, sensitively, you know. So, and that, that became, you know, my, and that's where I met Bejar. 
And I asked him if I could work with him. And he said, come to Brussels and audition. And I left the sciences behind and I went and auditioned for Bajar and entered his school. I was in Brussels four and a half years. And his school was uh, a performance arts school in which we studied any kind of dance you can imagine, later night, and then theater, music. <laughs> What was that like being a, an Iranian girl? I guess you hadn't left Iran before that time, right? And you're in your late teens or something, and you're suddenly, the world is open, and you're in Belgium in, in, in the Bejar Ballet. Uh, what was that um, adventure like for you? Well, it was a dream. It was a complete dream. I mean, I was um, another Iranian, uh, very dear friend, also from my company, Aida Amirkanian. She had done this audition the year before. So when I went there, she was already there. And she, being a wonderful human being, she was taking care of me, making sure I had my, you know, I was living in the same area with her, etc. So it was a dream, but I actually didn't speak uh, French. I spoke English, but I didn't speak French. So, but since we spent so many hours dancing and working on physical work, um, originally it didn't matter. And uh, the school was very, very multidimensional as well. What I really loved about Jashn Hunar, it sort of gave me some education as to how to approach the world of theater, the world of dance. Susan, would your expectation then in the late 70s when you're at the school, when you're working in, in Belgium, would your expectation have been that you're going to return to Iran and that's where Absolutely you're going to live? Absolutely, your- was my intention. I had such a, a love affair with um, Iran, and especially, I regret that I there's so much of Iran outside of the cities that I wanted to experience. Um, one of the things that my company in Iran did every summer uh, that I was in the company, they, they had campings in uh, Caspian, and they would bring a lot of musicians and dancers from all regions of Iran to this camping so that my company would study mm. these traditions from the real people coming mm. from these places. And that was absolutely a blessing. I mean, it, it, there's so much joy involved in seeing the actual real traditional folk, folk, folk music from all over Iran. It was a blessing, absolute blessing. So I, I really... And I want to go back to Iran. I, I really have decided I'm going to go back to Iran. So I'm announcing it out loud that I am going to go back to Iran sometime soon. Wow. Have you been back over the years? I have not. But Let me come back to that decision. Hang on. Because that, that's, that's, a, that's a big one. But, but I'm guessing then, so in 1980, when you moved to New York, um, the, the, the fork in the road is I can go back to Iran but there ain't going to be any dancing and singing anytime soon, uh, or I'm, I, I just stay in the West. Is that right? And then you opt to continue doing your creative work by moving to New York? Yeah, absolutely. I went to New York the summer of, uh, I think, 78, with the artistic director of my school in, in Bejar, was a Chinese-American um, man. Uh, sadly, he passed. 
And he invited me to go to New York to take some classes in New York because the dance world in New York is really, really, was really amazing in those days. So I, I spent like a month with him in New York and studied with all kinds of different dance classes. So I was kind of familiar with New York. And the year after I entered Maurice Bejar's ballet company, I, I was very unsatisfied with the reality of the ballet company. It was, it was really, there was no, no intellectual activities. Everybody was in constant diets. And it just felt like this is not what I worked so hard for, to come out of Iran, to leave my family, to leave the sciences, and now suddenly just become like a ballet dancer. It just was really depressing for me. So I left, I left the company and it happened that I was young and obviously tough-headed and I left in the middle of the hostage crisis. Right. That's when um, I moved to New York. Great timing. Great timing. Mm. <laughs> and it was a, I mean, it was really lucky to get in because it was a long day at the airport. I did have a visa to go to Jamaica, which I hadn't done the year before. So that got me in and then that was it. And then I got stuck in New York for 10 years and looking for, you know, the usual. How hard was it to not, um, to not be able to go back? It was hard, you know, it was really hard, but I, I, I never, um, I just, I'm, I don't know what it is about me. I'm, I'm, I'm usually, I try to be there and then very quickly in any situation that I'm in. So I don't spend too much time freaking out because I don't know, I mean, it's not gonna help anything. <laughs> We've had so many unexpected things thrown at us as Iranians the last 40 years, so many things, that the last thing you want to do is to freak out. So I, I, I figured it out. I was inspired by the art scene. The art scene in New York was like a mecca of progressive avant-garde, everything that I loved. And then I met my partner in life, Richard Horowitz, a year, year and a half after I moved to New York. And of course, you know, he had just come back to the U.S. after 10 years of being in Morocco and in France and had studied North African trance music and Middle Eastern. He was just like an amazing person to run into because he spoke French. He had come from this incredible heritage of North African work. It was just so interesting, so interesting. And a threshold for me to discover the trance music of Sub-Saharan Africa, mm. which is so sublime and, 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 and something, a huge saga of its own. The, the roots and so we became um very close and we started collaborating immediately and our first album desert equations as etc came out of those original days and that was uh, actually it's going to get a re-release this year on vinyl oh wow and by cramped records cramped disc which is really very special because that album was so advanced for its time, not because it was advanced, it was just new. It was a hybrid of a lot of different kinds of things that we thought was important to do and but the scene to the scene it was very new. Yeah, it's, it's all 
for artists, it's always hard. It's never easy for artists. It never ceases to be like, I, it's always hard. I can tell you hard, hard, hard. <laughs> Always uh, hard. Which, which part <laughs> of heart to heart are we talking about here? I mean, is, is it raising funds or or uh, or censorship? I mean, there's a there's a whole category of we need subsections of hard, right? Absolutely, it's always always have to reach out, and very seldom someone comes to you and say, "Hey, you know, I would like to commission you to do a piece like that." Every time you think about it, right now we're working on a project that's again one of these two-year projects is going to take a long time and called Forbidden Echoes. And uh, again, it's going to be like going to square one. Hi, my name is SD. I've done these things in my life. I believe you have to support my work. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> you guys should come to us. <laughs> there may be a comfortable uh, corporate job available for you somewhere to check in nine to five and, um, you know, do your work and, and not have to deal with these issues. Occasionally, I think about it, I feel. But, you know, I mean, especially when you've had the kind of path that some of us had, it's been years, you feel like you just you violate the integrity of the path if you don't follow it all the way yeah d d depending on the corporate gig you get the improvisational uh, path of life is it's not going to be as easy uh yeah. if that's what yeah. you're you're pursuing you know what's interesting is when you talk about your decision to want to go back to iran now um you know you left iran more than three decades ago four decades ago yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and it it's so interesting to me the ties that we have I mean, in my case, it's extraordinary because I didn't even grow up in Iran, and I feel this connection, right? To be at least to being Iranian. Um, looking at your art, we can see this very powerful connection to Iranian culture, and it almost feels like this connection has grown over the years. It's it's more visible than ever. It's stronger in the role that it plays in your work. Um, can you explore why you think that is? In other words, why didn't you leave and just become very American. Despite all the issues, what's there not to love? Having been born in a culture like that, with such a density of fabric of the culture is so interesting. It's so profound, so beautiful, so sensual. I mean, I was born in that culture. What's there not to run away from? I mean, it's, 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 we just have to work on this culture to make it better, to make it more be more about things that we love as opposed to things that we don't like. It's brought a lot of problems for me as an artist and as a, a woman. It's introduced a lot of challenges being Iranian in the US and abroad. And there's still a lot of prefabrication about the way you have to be and what your discourse is all about. You know, the discourse, people pull you in discourses that have to do with the most first degree aspect of politics, social social issues, feminism, all the stuff that's like such a caricaturesque idea of what our reality is. And you have to do the best to duck out and duck in. Just look, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to my whole discourse to be about the projection of something I don't even care about. <laughs> so that I'm going to spend my life talking about it to you. And if you have those kinds of ideas, you probably don't want to be even educated. So if the conversation is really first degree and it's pulling me into a, 
sort of a their prefabrication of Iranians being in some, some kind of a ghetto of our reality. It's like, no, don't speak to me. What, what are you referring to when, I mean, what, what do people most get wrong about you based on, you know, some superficial reading of this Persian female artist that they see? Why be a progressive artist? Why don't you do a folk album? <laughs> Why don't you like, you know, um, do a pop album for the Los Angeles, Tarangelis community? They were wrong about certain kind of categorization of what I'm about. But we both had a vision and we both worked towards it. And everybody is learning and everybody tried to keep the integrity of their message. And also there are some um, very, very uptight Iranian uh, people who are um, on the cultural scene internationally who have gone the, out of their way to, to say negative things about my, my musical work. And they have no idea uh, of what my sources are. Like what? What do they, what, they don't like your interpretations? Yeah, that I'm not classically trained in Persian classical music. Hmm. I'm like, do you want to know all the things that I've been trained in in music? <laughs> all the other influences I've been trained in? Do you want to know what that is? And do you know why I'm not trained in Persian classical music? Because there's not enough time to be an excellent Persian classical singer and also learn how to deal with Ornette Coleman, Bobby McFerrin on stage as a jazz musician, right. and also deal with film music, there is just not enough time. Otherwise, I would have actually done it because I love, I love that music. I mean, you could hear it in my singing that I, I'm a homegirl. I, I love the music. <laughs> I'm Italian about it. But it's the shortcomings. And these people are dangerous because, you know, I don't work in those milieus, but a lot of younger people who are trying to do experimentation with Iranian music and Western music, they're all being pigeonholed in this idea that they're like not authentic, they're bastardizing the music, but you got to teach them instead of like intimidate them that if you're not a great classical music, that you don't exist. No, they're working on it. You don't become a great classical music if you don't work on it. It's a craft. It takes time. It takes 10 years to just know the vocabulary of Persian classical music. Just the boucher and the kenar and the daska and the this and the that. It's not the way to in intimidate the youth and have them go to corners and say, oh my God, so they're never going to accept me, so I'm going to do hip-hop. This place for everything. I'm, this is a good segue to playing another song of yours. I mean, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that I, I can't keep you here forever, and, I, and there's so many things that I want to ask you. I wanted to ask you about the collaboration with Sheena Nashat. There's a lot of things we could get to. But let me actually play a song uh, from your most recent record, at least the one that came out last year that called uh, La Belle et, et la Bête. And um, because I, th I feel like one of the ways that you are this ambassador for uh, Iranian music or songs or poems is in your reinter reinterpretations or interpretations of, of, of popular songs or songs from the past. Um, and, and that connection is very vivid, your connection to Iranianness in that sense. This is a song called Elahe Naz, uh, Angel of Grace. It, it, it's the lead-off track from this uh, album that you put out last year. Let's take a listen to this. Oh, oh, oh. 
little taste of Suzanne Dehim from the album that came out last year called La Belle et la Bête and the song Elohe Noz, Angel of Grace. Uh, I'm very lucky to have my uh, walking uh, Persian pop music encyclopedia Shia here who explained to me that that was a piece popularized by Banon in the 1950s. Um, tell me about your decision to cover material and do these interesting reinterpretations you do. Well, I'm not a songwriter, I'm a composer. So my pieces are never really song-based. They're like a composition. They're a piece in which I do many voices, I do. And then if I'm using a poem by Rumi or Farouk, it's still in the context of a contemporary classical composition. So this is actually my first album of songs that I've ever done, like literally. And it's because a lot of my friends who are you know, wonderful and really sophisticated in milieus of like journalism or this and that, they said, are you a snob that you never have a song in which you sing actual songs? I'm like, no, I just, it's not something that I need to do. Many people do you, that. You were shamed into proving you're not a snob? <laughs> I was ashamed to say, my friend said, finally, you, you did an album in which we understand the languages because I also create a lot of my own languages when I compose. So we did this album for friends who wanted to hear me in, in a song format rather than a composition. And uh, that's how it came about. Susan, how did the film and TV projects uh, suddenly, you, you, you've you done this spate of, I mean, it reads as quite an impressive resume at this point of The Last Temptation, The, the Kite Runner, Unfaithful, Argo. How did you become this go-to person for all these soundtracks? I think because I'm, uh, I do certain kind of work with my voice uh, that is really, um, there first of all, everybody is aware that I'm an improviser and they could just put me uh, in a session, they're playing the film, they tell me what the content is. And so they don't want just a singer, they want the voice of the scene. So because I've been an actor and I've been a musician, I've been an improviser, so I, I basically find the resonance and the tonality of what would work for the scene. Is it a dramatic scene? Is it a percussive scene? Is it a so um, I think it's just because of my work was known to many of the composers and they reached out and I was happily collaborated with Alexander Desplat, who's an amazing composer. On Argo, we had a really great time. Peter Gabriel and uh, Martin Scorsese, they had almost finished Last Temptation of Christ. And uh, they were looking for one, the music for one scene and they didn't know what it should be. They, they wanted to be voiced, but they didn't want it to be traditional. They didn't want it to be like classical opera or something. So this friend of ours from uh, Music Ar Archive in New York called said, they're looking for someone to raise Lazarus from the dead. I said, I'll be there. I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was, yes, you know, we went there and I improvised certain um, vocal improvisations, which in New York scene, we would call them extended vocal techniques. It's uh, the kind of work that we did also in Europe. Stockhausen is a, a person who was very advanced in that. So yeah, it's kind of lamentation and... Um, by the way, I would, have, I would have just quit right after that. I mean, I would have gone, I would have, being asked by Gabriel to be on that album, which is one of the iconic, the best soundtracks of all time, I would yeah. have just been like, okay, my work is done here. Let's go to the island and, and while away the years here. I've, 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 I've reached the top of the mountain. It was a wonderful, wonderful um, collaboration. And we, we did it there and then. I was in the studio. I did three tracks and they said, this is it. And I'm like, great, you know, and we had a 
It was great. It was definitely a, and Peter Gabriel had a very big uh, opera project in which they wanted to cast me as a shaman living at the airport. And we were so into that. And unfortunately, September 11th happened and it was supposed to open in New York and the whole thing just fell apart. So we didn't do a lot more collaborations then, but. Susan, Argo was a difficult one for a lot of us in the Iranian community. Uh, uh, Some folks saw it as straight up anti-Iranian. Some some didn't like some of the interpretations. Did you get pushback? Did you get uh, any reaction from your fans uh, working on Argo? You know, I didn't personally, but I was I followed the discourse. And when I was asked to do the film by Alexander Desplat, I said, you know, I'm very sensitive to Iran and every all things Iran. I need to see the script. And he said, that's really difficult to to send you, but I'll see what I can do. So they I think they spoke to Ben Affleck and George Clooney as um, the producers. They were OK. They sent me the script. And at that point, I read the script and I didn't, the script didn't show me anything that was not cool. And the fact that George was involved was like, you know, this is a true story. And I was actually astounded, like, wow, this is true. Wow. How did that happen? Mm -hmm. So when we finished the film and the film came out, suddenly there were like two million other versions of that film and the fact that it was actually a Canadian agent, not an Iranian agent. And uh, the whole thing just became sad. But just to be on the score part of it, my work with Alexander Desplat was really super interesting. And, you know, so from that perspective, it was still an interesting experience for me. But Iranians were offended. And uh, I think the reflection from the other side was, hey, it's Hollywood, it's comedy. Don't take it too seriously, but it's hard. It's hard to... Yeah, that was a difficult film for me. I didn't. Uh, I, I. I'm one of those people who had some issues with that one, um, but I also think uh, Alexandre Desplat is, is is amazing, and I, I, I can't begrudge you wanting to work with uh, with him or doing the kind of collaboration you've done with him. Uh, it is such a, a a great pleasure to get to talk to you. Thank you for all the time you've given us. I want to go out on that piece that we referenced earlier from 2014 that I just love. It's with our our common friend Arshida Azarin, and it's called Bye. it's a song called Marabebus. Um Tell tell us about this piece before we play it. Well, Arshida and I were uh, looking for something to do collaboration wise, and then um, I was in Paris, and we were in the studio in his house. Actually, we tried kind of to improvise and then this song came up and I started doing something, he started doing something and we just both felt like, ah, oh, this could be an interesting, because uh, he wanted to do a tango version. And so we both thought that was something that was worth um, exploring. And we did, we, we went for it. And a um, couple of years after the song came out and as you know, um, this song has such a history because it's a song that is associated with, uh, you know, um, the coup d'etat in Iran associated with uh, the departure of the lyricist from Iran and he wrote it in the last night of his departure and he apparently called the composer and read the lyrics at the airport. So it's, it's attached to a lot of uh, Iranian recent culture that people really care about. I like the fact that it's become a song that finally I have a song in the Persian household that is not too avant-garde and it's not too this and it's not too that. And it's not, doesn't have too many tahrish so people can say that I missed the third gushe of the fourth. 
So it's just <laughs> so yeah. Finally, I am in Persian household. <laughs> You're Persian household friendly. It's it is it's a beautiful piece. I'm I'm thrilled to go out on. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Susan Dehim, an Iranian-American composer, vocalist, performance artist, and activist. You can see her online gallery at susandehimgallery.com. Susan joined us from Los Angeles today. Silky vocals of Susan Dehim uh, performing there with our, our, our dear friend Arshid Azarin on the piano there. Um, microphones are obviously back on for the fabulous Keon, Captain Reza, and Algrubi Shaya. Did you enjoy that, Keon? I cannot wait to watch her live. Mm. I can't wait for COVID, all of this to end so we can actually see her. Mm-hmm. She's fabulous. She's lovely, yeah. yeah. What an interesting interview to do. Um, Shaya? Uh, I love Susan. Hmm. I love her and you know she, she's not making music for you know for um, just partying or for mm. being you know like a happy music or mm. some she she created music to think about it to mm. you know to mm. study the music not uh, yeah 
I'd say it's an in, she's an intellectual composer, if anything. Like she tries, it's it's all layered. I I, f- I really enjoy her music, and I really loved what she said about we should give um, um, we should give the youth a chance. Let them let them get creative mm. with different uh, methods of making music, so that they don't g- don't discourage them. Mm. And it kind of you know what it reminded me of, of what Chef Haas said about creating food. It's mm. sort of the same thing. Like don't let's not be so strict about our like our recipes. Let's Right. creative because that's when uh, creativity blossoms and like t- t- talent like t- uh, you can actually come up with new stuff that can be uh, very inventive and interesting the new diversity thing. of what she does is so impressive to it me is. and I loved what she said earlier just when we were talking about um, uh, she said I, I I have to go listen back to it now now that we've done it but I but she said something about uh, I want to live my life improvisationally I want yeah. you know uh, her goal is to live every moment like it's the last moment yeah. uh, and, um, and well it's, it's it's tough thing to do it is very uh, tough you know, but I think she's actually doing it from what I hear well sort of I mean I, I think she, I, you can't do that and and have as busy a schedule as she has and you know I mean she's I, I think that's why I was saying well do you have a day calendar what do you mean improvisational <laughs> how do you live your life like that but the idea of uh, not tightly scripting mm. one's life, so and letting that go. You letting go, and you know that because you know, the, the you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the beauty uh, of life. Well, yeah. the beauty and the tough part of life is yeah. you, you just don't know what's around the corner. So yeah. why not live it, uh, live every moment in the present, live live life improvisationally? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Pursuit of pleasure. That's my oh, that's my motto. That's something else. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking doobie after the show. No, every every moment should be enjoyed. I don't think a lot of people do that. Why don't you just enjoy every day? But what about things that are not enjoyable? Like Like you're like a family member being sick. Well, of course that's not enjoyable, but that's not in your control. But whatever you have in your control, you Mm. should try to enjoy every moment. Mm. You should stress less. But when you improvise your life, you have to prepare for some grief some sadness sometimes you know and it's not always about enjoying life yeah no, but, but the part that you can control over you you the part that you, that's out of your hands you should enjoy i think yeah shia yeah shia <laughs> like jian like what uh, team are you on you should let go if you gain a few i just try to get these two it's monday let's get to the letters of the week Yeah. I was waiting for that. <laughs> and he gets closer to the mic each week, you know? It started as this little thing. He's right on the mic. Abia. All right. If you if you guys don't already know, we posted an incredibly embarrassing home video of the rug team at a Noru's get together, and it's all done in Farsi, yeah. if you can even call it that. <laughs> it's you know, it's a loose term that Farsi. If you want more of that, watch the video. (laughs) All right, so on YouTube, we have Neda John Sipar wrote, How lovely the whole lot of you are, really. Happy no ruse. Perhaps Shia should just stop everything else he does in life and teach J and K some Farsi. Though it might not then be as much fun listening to your p- perfect lahje. Ah, you see? <laughs> Thank you, Neda. Uh, it's a good suggestion. Uh, you could learn, take some more yeah, Farsi Shai, lessons. Yeah, you, you could really uh, make a side business from that. 
All right, then we have username uh, on YouTube Farhood, not Farhad SM. Right, <laughs> Farhood. He no, changed his guy. username to that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he writes. You guys didn't follow the tradition properly. You're supposed to argue about whether it used to be half sheen or half seen. I presume it was edited out. Adorable. Quick thoughts. The rumors are true. Captain Reza is wildly handsome. What? Oh my god. Farhood is my favorite new favorite person. Ponta, your haircut is incredibly cute. You remind me of a 60s French actor. Yes. Kian, you look just like a previous Miss Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to find where you live, Farhood, and I will kill you. Miss Idaho? Miss Idaho. That is oh obviously not God. a compliment. Oh, that means you're, I guess, very... Um, <laughs> butchy? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think of that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, we'll get to you. You laugh now, Gian, but we'll get to you. I'm familiar with this letter. It's okay. I know what's coming. Shia. Yes. Hi. That's all, yeah. That's all he Who doesn't like you, remember? Uh, yeah, <laughs> he I, doesn't say I, anything about you. I know that, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't least, wait to meet least, this family. At least he didn't either. call you Miss Idaho, Shia. Yeah. So I'm happy you are in my team, Kian. <laughs> I think Miss Idaho it means you're... <laughs> okay, let's just leave that. You're okay? natural. Anyway, <laughs> you shut your mouth right now. Gian, Gian, have a seat, oh, please. Oh, I know, I know. Are you comfortable? <laughs> I, this is I, this was the letter that traumatized me. Trust me. Are you comfortable? Great. Yes. Listen, you were topple during Christmas. <laughs> it was nice. You looked healthy. Now you're transitioning to kopol. Barodar, Aziz, Jigar, Dadash, Dai, Akhabi, Pasha Yekam Bodo. Love from Vancouver. Hashtag Rogue Snob. I tell you. Oh. <laughs> By the way, Farhood, you're the reason. You ruined Shijian's day. Today. Farhood better be cut. That's all I want. He better be like, he, might, he better be like the rock, you know? He better be absolutely shredded saying these things about us. Yeah. I don't know. All I love right. that. Moving on. Yeah, you would, Raza. Oh, so mm. yeah. Shut your mouth. <laughs> well, then we have Ali Zakhar wrote, Happy Nuru's to you all, Rook team. What a nice gathering. Well, Jun is one of my dearest. I just miss seeing him. But it's nice to finally see the other team members and put a face to the lovely voices we listen on the episodes. I'm sure you had a great time together. Wish you and your loved ones the best of health and happiness in this new year and many years ahead. Keep up the good work. I enjoy being around this lovely and magical voice. Oh, there you go, a compliment. Thank you very you. much. <laughs> Finally, somebody has not something nice to say. <laughs> All right, then on Instagram we have Ehsan Hutkani wrote, "I always wanted." Hutkani. Kani. Ehsan Hutkani. Let's say. He says, "I always wanted to see the whole Rook team. It's one of my favorite podcasts." Happy No Ruse. Thank you, Esa. And then we have Ellie Dust wrote in uh, in Persian, Farsi, and I uh, Finglish. Tra- Finglish. Yes. Well, I translated it to oh, Finglish with oh. my very my grade oh, three reading. So we have skills. no idea what she really said. <laughs> <laughs> I can read, okay, very slowly. Oh, come on, Miss Lyle. She wrote. Well, Ellie Dust says, "Asheretunam, No Ruse Mubarak be hamay rok team. Agar comment mano nakhuni." To, ba- to Barname Narahat Misham There you there go, go. You won't Your be wish is our now. command yeah. <laughs> And then we have Username CA Underscore Marianez It's a Persian person By the way I don't know why Marianez But anyway Says Happy Noru's Rook team 
Jian, don't be disappointed. At least you can dance better than many who speak Farsi, including <laughs> me. That's true, actually. That's actually true. Very you true. dance very well. Jian. You're a very good like, dancer. Actually, yeah. Yanni, you just figured that out. Eh? All these no, no, years, <laughs> you've never seen, you never <laughs> noticed that I can. No, That's even cool. you, even though you can sing like Pavarotti, <laughs> <laughs> I can dance like a, like, like Justin Timberlake. Hordadian <laughs> <laughs> is the best. All right, then we have Samira Arya wrote, "Happy Nowruz to the Rook team. Love the half scene video and the Sabzi Polo look tasty. We were so happy to meet the team." And Jian, you cut the fresh savzi like a pro. Thank you. Eda Shamal Mubarak. Look Thank at all you, these Samira. compliments. Thank you. And not not a single person besides Farhood called you fat. So <laughs> there we go. the only honest one. <laughs> Miss Idaho. <laughs> anyway, we have Ta- Tanoz. Miss Idaho. I'm going to go kill thing. myself. No. <laughs> no. All right. Then we have Tanoz Asifi wrote... Thank you for sharing this sweet video. Very well done to Jian and Kian to sticking to f- speaking Farsi. You both did so well. No Ruz Mubarak. Thanks, Tanos. I think she was just being very sweet. Yes. And then we have Peggy Ta Mahmoud Zadeh wrote, Happy No Ruz to you, Jian John, and the Rook team. Wish you much more success and brighter days ahead. Such a sweet and wonderful idea to share your celebration and gathering video with all of your audiences. Your sabzi polomahi looked very yummy, and I also loved your sofreya half scene. In my opinion, only with this short video alone, you broke many glasses of people's <laughs> sorrow already. That's, That's a beautiful. reference to the poem in the in the video. If you guys haven't seen the video yet, go check it out, and you'll Are you see. Are going to try that, saying it one more that time? That references. I will not, but I will say the sofreya half scene. Um, we should do a shout out to uh, thoughtful Nagin, who you don't see in the video, but she helped us put that beautiful, beautiful half scene together so thank you very much uh thoughtful nagin all right then we have nasim ob wrote happy noruz to all of you at rook team thank you for bringing us so many wonderful stories from the diaspora last year you helped us connect with our roots wishing you all a wonderful year ahead Beautiful. Now you're doing the voice again, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not Happy to do. Happy no to the How do you know that this woman speaks that way? <laughs> Thank you for bringing us wonderful stories from the diaspora. You helped us. First of all, it's like a bit British and like the Queen or something. You helped us connect to our roots. Wishing you all a wonderful year ahead from Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Buckingham Palace. That's my reading Cheerios. voice. I don't know why. Why don't you just English. be yourself? I don't. I can't. Right. I can't do what I. I just think that. Oh, does she know this person? Well, Nassim, she wrote it so poetically. And then I realized they all talk that way in your mind. <laughs> I'm wishing you all. God. From myself and Philip. We're wishing you all a, a wonderful today. year ahead. <laughs> all right. So Ali. On Sha- this Noros, <laughs> let us think of Churchill and our English roots. All right. So we got Ali Sharma who wrote. <laughs> Ali Sharma wrote. Jian's Farsi is better than I thought. <laughs> see, it's better when I do it with the voice. You can see. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so Jian's Farsi is better than I thought. First of all, he's a liar, but moving on. <laughs> so cute to see you guys interact and sharing a fun and happy time. Happy Noruz to the amazing Rook team. Yeah, that was, I mean, we did that for the cameras. So as soon as, <laughs> as soon as Captain Reza turned the camera off, it was back to being morose and walking around. We hate each other yeah, in real yeah, life. Complaining. It's all fake. Yeah. <laughs> all right, on that note, we have the letter of the week. Yeah. 
All right, this week's letter of the week goes to Amir Hossein Amin Sharifi. Oh. So he writes Quite a name. This video is so amazing. Thanks a lot, Jianjian and the Rook team for sharing. The discussion about the seven S's in Hafsin table set was interesting to me in that, regardless of the reasons, it could connect and gather you and all of us around the table. Very true. Your genuine feelings and happy moments again proves the magic of Nowruz. This incredible time of year to connect with nature, heal our souls, think of beloved ones, love others, and feel positivity about the upcoming year. Nowruzatan Piruz. Ah, thank That's you. beautiful. So thank you. By the way, Ami Hussain sounds like the other person. <laughs> okay, that's Your my genuine reason. feelings <laughs> and happy moments again prove the magic of Noru's. This year, give to other English people <laughs> through the cause of charity, the Queen's Foundation. I feel good about myself today. No, you look great. I'm kidding. Today, I'm just, I feel good about I'm myself. <laughs> Two weeks ago, when, or whatever it was, a week ago, when we made this thing, I mean, oh, what a disaster. All right. Well, Amir well, Hossein, Amin Shaf- Sharifi, was it? Uh, was that? On, Who's got on, the letter of the week? Amir Hossein, Amin Sharifi. Thank you. Thank you to all of you guys who've written uh, to us and posted on our social media. And uh, we really appreciate your letters. And we really appreciate your support and your Nora's wishes. And congratulations on the letter of the week, Amir Hussein. All right, well, that is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you to Susanne Dehim, our featured guest today. Remember, our website, rookmedia.com, is where you can find all things Rook. And support us and become a patron. Rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together each week. Producer Susan, Ponce of the Artist, Thompson Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Aray Mertad, Master Muhammad, Chef Haas, Captain Reza and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any or all of our platforms if you have not done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizun Bashim.